the rowdy ones are always up front and the back. Middle crew, you guys are good. Just kidding. Uh, my name is Pastor Joe. I'm one of the many uh, pastors here on staff, and it's my pleasure to be hanging out with you and going through the Word. Please uh, pick up your Bibles. We're going to be in John chapter 10 today. <clears throat> John chapter 10. The title of today's message is I Am the Gate, and we're going to be going through that. I will pick up a little bit overlapping where Pastor Ryan left off. I want to point out uh, something that the Pharisees had said before. But as we go through today's scripture, I want to encourage you to step out of the thriving metropolis of Sebastian and go to ancient Israel with me. I know we live in a, sub a suburban oasis and it's great, but I want you to see when Jesus is talking, he is expressly talking to people who know exactly what he's talking about when he says that he is the good shepherd. And he says, I am the gate. The people would know instantly what he was talking about. And I want to encourage you to pick that up as we go through scripture and we will unpack that with you. Um, but I just want to kind of just remind you that this is an agricultural society. This is a farming society and the way that they looked at shepherds is way different than we look at shepherds. When I was growing up, my grandparents uh, had a lot of land in Parkland, Florida. And uh, there was people with land all around. That's kind of what people did there. And I knew a hippie lady uh, down the street and she had a bunch of sheep and she would shave and make, uh, I don't know, hippie sweaters. I don't know. But she was definitely not the shepherd that the Bible is going to describe. So she wouldn't be the image that we would look at. And I also knew a gentleman who came from Scotland had a great accent, had a really cool like hat and like tweed jacket. And he would come out and speak real nicely to his sheep. That's not the shepherd uh, that we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking a gentleman that looks like a little bit like this on this picture we're going to put up. Now, this is a shepherd from Judah. So this is Judea. That's the, you know, the southern kingdom of Israel right there. This is 1898. This is a colorized black and white photo, but I, I just thought it was really cool because when I looked at that, this is none of the shepherds that I know today. This is a shepherd from the Middle East. And this shepherd, is there anything that you notice specifically that jumps out to you? He's armed. A lot of weaponry. A lot of things going on there. And look, he looks like he, you know, if something were to happen, he'd be ready. Yeah, you're right. You see the weapon, you got the club, you got the staff, you got the gun. So obviously the shepherds in, in Jesus' time didn't have guns, but they were armed. In fact, some of them, um, some of the shepherds that I got to meet in Israel, uh, they had axes and, and um, knives everywhere. And I was like, what's all the axes for? And they go, in case you have to chop. And I go, what's all the knives for? And they go, in case you have to stab. And I'm like, you do that a lot? And they're like, all the time. So that's like, like where have you been? And I'm like, well, that's the shepherd of the Bible that we're going to uh, be looking at because this shepherd was a defender and a protector. And it's something that you can notice about this shepherd. He is on watch, is he not? And he is armed and he is prepared. But where are his sheep? Gently grazing, not a care in the world, just focused on grass and water. Uh, while this particular sheep was ready to lead. And this is what leading looks like. He thinks about his flock first and doesn't think about himself. And so you can see that um, definitely in some of the leaders that God has picked through the Old Testament, right? So two of the greatest leaders is Moses and David. What did they do? Before they became great leaders, they were great shepherds. And uh, it's kind of interesting because I got to talk to a guy who uh, was overseeing flocks in Israel. And I said, what's, what's, what's so, you know, so great about being a shepherd? Um, you know, what's the specific thing about sheep? Is there anything you can tell me? And he goes, sheep are dumb. That's, you know, I do everything. They're dumb. And then I remember holding the Bible in my hand and I was like, oh, I get it, Lord. I get what you're saying. I'm dumb. I need a shepherd. So you can see that we may not be aware of how much we need a Messiah, but that nonetheless, we need a Messiah. 
Uh, so I wanted you to see that. Um, I also want you to see that so far we've talked about as we go scripture by scripture through John, you can see God's heart as shepherd. I'm gonna give you a case in point. Chapter eight, we saw God uh, interact with a black sheep. That would be the woman that was caught in adultery. Right? So she was a woman that wasn't living for the Lord. She was obviously living for herself in a, in a selfish lifestyle. And the, the, the Pharisees grabbed her and dragged her before the Lord. And what did he say? Did he say, I'm going to beat you or I'm going to shoot you? No, he said, I want to bring you into the flock. Go and sin no more. I have not come to condemn you. I've come to save you. So you can see the heart of a shepherd for his sheep. And then you can also see in chapter nine, we dealt with a blind sheep. There was a man who was blind for 40 years, all of his life, right? He was sitting there, never had an opportunity to see. And Christ came along and did something that I do not recommend any of us try. Hawked a few spitballs into the, into the dirt, clay, wiped it on his face, said, go get, go get washed. And then he was able to see, but more importantly, he was able to spiritually see. And so his heart was for his sheep. Now I want you to understand that the Lord doesn't have a problem chasing down black sheep. He will leave the 99 to find the one. That's not a problem from blind sheep. He'll come over and he'll, he'll lead that sheep. But what we're about to find in chapter 10 is deaf sheep. And I don't want to say physically deaf sheep because they just can't hear. It's willingly deaf. I hear you, Jesus, but I'm not listening. I hear the word of the Lord coming from the Old Testament through Jesus into the New Testament, but I'm not listening. And that's what the Christ is going to show us in the first set of verses. And in the second set of verses, as we go through John, you're going to see that he's going to go really like right at the Pharisees and say, let me show you what a good shepherd is looks like because you've been only dealing with bad shepherds. So if you guys can, I'm like I said, I'm going to start in chapter nine, verse 40, and we'll go right into 10. I just want to recap what they said at the end of chapter nine. He says, some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what are we blind to? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. Remember what I said about blind sheep. It's not a problem. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. He's talking about their listening. You're not listening. You think you can see. I've been telling you, you've been blind. Look at verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. And the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. So I'm going to show you a picture that I had for the longest time. It's like an old picture. That's why it's hard to blow it up. But you can kind of see what's going on. In ancient times, when they would shepherd the sheep out to the pastures during the day, they let them graze, like we saw that shepherd before, let them find the you know, gentle waters. And then at night, they would bring them into a pen. And what a pen would look like, and you can still see them today, there'd be sharp rocks that they would put all around, usually in a circle or in a square. And then they would bring them into the pen. And then they would have them relax for the evening. Because that way, you know, animals couldn't get up to those sharp rocks. They couldn't climb them. Um, and if robbers tried to, they would cut themselves and then they would have to hurl themselves over, but they, would, they wouldn't come in through the gate because who's sitting in the gate? The shepherd. Sir George Smith, which is a, a famous historian, he would go into the Middle East to kind of document through the English language, you know, the Fertile Crescent, how societies were developed. He spent a lot of time with shepherds and he was always blown away by this. He was like, I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm looking at that sheep pen. How do you keep them in tonight? And he goes, he looked right at the shepherd. He said, how do, you, how do they know to stay? And he goes, there's no gate. And the guy looked at him without missing a beat and said, I am the gate. I protect the sheep from going out. And when it's time to let them out, I will let them out when they stay. But when the animals and the robbers and the thieves and anything comes, they have to deal with me. And that kind of hit him really, really hard because the sheep recognize that. All of my protection, all of my care, everything comes 
from that particular person. And in our case, it would be Jesus Christ standing in front of us, protecting us and preparing the way. Now, as you understand, so we get a little context. Why is Jesus using these words? He's actually coming directly at the Pharisees. He's coming at them hard too. Just, you know, just like any uh, institution that has a desirable position, it becomes a very competitive market, right? Everybody wants to rise up. And in Israel, there's nothing greater than being in the, in the religious institution of the temple, right? To be a Pharisee. And so it no longer became a, a situation where you were looking to see what the Lord wants. What you would say is, oh, we have great political connections. Can we get our boys to go in there? You're connected politically. Can we pull strings to get our boys so they could rise up? Or maybe you knew somebody, you had family in there. Maybe Uncle Joe could hook them up. Come on, we see each other everything, you know, Thanksgiving. I, they don't celebrate Thanksgiving in Israel, but like we sit across the table, you want to see our boys in there. So there was political and there was family connections and what you're not hearing at all is the calling of God. What you're hearing is more like ambition. Ambition. What I want, not anointing. And that's why Christ would come to us and say, I'm the gate because I've earned the right to call myself the gate. Think about this. Jesus Christ was sitting in a throne in heaven. And if you were ever sitting on a throne in heaven, would you ever look down at ancient Israel, covered in Romans, dirt, dust, and be like, I want to go there? No, I want to stay in heaven on vacation, permanent vacation. But listen to this. Christ knew that the only way that we would get to heaven is through his love and by coming to us. So he lowered himself to lay across the gate. He stooped down to feed us, to protect us, to put his body in harm's way for us. But then think about this. Think about Jesus Christ at Passover. He would pull up an apron, stoop down with a basin of water and wash the disciples' feet. Now I want you to step back and ask yourself this question. Would the Pharisees ever stoop down to wash the disciples' feet? Would the Pharisees ever stoop down to wash your feet? This is why Jesus said, I have earned that right to call myself the gate. Look at 1 Peter 2.25. Peter would say this so great. For you were straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. See, there's a difference between ambition and affection. Ambition says, where am I going? Affection says, where can I take you? And Christ is standing here, where am I leading you? What am I leading you from? And what am I leading you to? Am I leading you from sin, death, and darkness into light, into heaven? Then you know the affection of the heart of your savior, your shepherd. He wants to lead you from death to life at his risk. And so listen to this, I am the gate, I am the door. And this is interesting because the shepherd would need to know when to lay down and when to get up. You know, Psalms 23, he makes me, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Look at verse three. He says this, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep, the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Isn't that an amazing thought? Just think about this. He knows every single person here by name. And you know, today, shepherds still do this. I saw a video while I was in Israel and I actually got to see it in the distance, but it wasn't up close. Two shepherds were walking. They were going to the, uh, two different directions and they had their flock behind them. And the shepherd's just walking and he's like, hip, hip. he's saying all these things and they're just following him. And the two shepherd she uh, flocks collide. And I was like nervous. I was like, they all look white little bit dirty, but how can you tell them apart? And the two flocks collided and the two shepherds just went on their way. They didn't even stop. They didn't get confused. They didn't get nervous or, or frantic. They just went, come on, sheep, let's go. And the right sheep followed their shepherd and passed through. And that's amazing to me. 
because they know who their shepherd is and they know where he's going and they know where to follow. But he leads and they trust. And what's more amazing to me about this is there was one sheep that was struggling, like he was lost. And we're gonna call him Joey. And it's because he said him Hebrew and he's like, and this sheep was like, where do I go? I lost, I was in the crowd. I said hello to another sheep. I got, I got mistaken. And he said, he said the name in Hebrew, but he was like, Joey, let's go. And that sheep was like, oh, there he is. And he took off. Because that shepherd did it without looking around because he knows Joey always gets lost. But because the shepherd knew his sheep. And I find that so awesome that we have a leader that would call us. He doesn't drag us forward by like a lasso. He doesn't beat us. It's a gentle calling by his voice and his people come. Look at verse four. And when he has brought them out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. It's a personal connection. It's a very personal connection to know the the shepherd by his voice, but not only to know his voice, but to trust his voice. To trust his voice that he is always good because they know they're safe with him because of the investment that he made. And I just want to let you know right now, do you know your Christ's voice? Do you know the Messiah's voice when he calls you? And there's so much joy in hearing his voice, even when you're being corrected, right? And that's part of what we want to do. Think about this. When We want to be recognized. We want to be seen. We want to be known. We want to be pursued. No matter how ridiculous we are, we want to be pursued. No matter how ashamed we are of our life, we want someone to know us and pursue us and chase us down, even in our ridiculousness. And that's how Christ has seen you, all the way down to your your heart and soul. And you can hear it in the voice of a shepherd. Even David says it in Psalms 139. Listen to these words. It's so beautiful. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise and you perceive my thoughts from afar. That means he knows my thoughts before I even think them. That makes me want to close the Bible right there and be like, no more, Jesus, no more. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, you Lord, know it completely. You know, it's funny. I'm just gonna share this, this real quick with you. This is like a crazy thing. I was at Publix and I went to say goodbye to the lady, you know, as I was checking out. And I said goodbye and I said, have a great day. And I was like, have a great day, bye, good. I don't know, it just all fell out. And I picture Jesus looking in my brain, watching these two sentences collide before they even hit my mouth. And he knew how I was embarrassed I was. And I looked at the lady and I was so embarrassed, I just left. I was just like, there's no recovering. And I thought about this. I go, I talk for a living. <laughs> and yet Jesus saw that, tra- that train wreck in my brain to my tongue and said, yeah, I'll still use them. I'll still use him. I, I can work with him. Look at this. You, verse five, you hem me in before, uh, in behind me and before me and you lay your hand upon me. That means no matter where you're at and what you're doing, the shepherd still has his hand on you. He has not given up. And he's guiding you to where you need to be. And look at how he closed it, verse six. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. A great translation is, I know you better than you know yourself. Christ knows you better than you know yourself. And that's an incredible thought because you could say this, Christ's sheep sees that he knows us better than ourselves. That should bring us incredible amount of peace. That means he knows how to take care of you. He knows how to protect you. He knows how to save you from yourself. That's an intimacy. That's intimacy of relationship. And Christ does everything he can to remove the walls and the excuses and everything that would prevent us from being completely vulnerable with God. Because we think of it as like, I'm defenseless. But Christ would say that we now finally have the freedom to deal with who you are. 
And now you don't have to hide because you have the freedom not to hide. You are safe with me. I'm here to provide. I'm here to protect. I'm here to guide you to perfection. What is perfection? Christ. Heaven. And that is what we need to have more of in our life with him. Look at verse five. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used the figure of speech, but Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. And so this is amazing because I actually saw this. I saw uh, a sheep calling contest. This is like a long time ago. During the quarantine, I got really bored. And I went online and watched every documentary known to man. And um, I actually watched this. There was a guy, they had a bunch of sheep on the hill. And this guy, they did a test. And a guy came out and he had a very similar voice. He was like a, like, a, like a guy that impersonated people. And he sounded like the shepherd, but he didn't sound quite like the shepherd. And the sheep didn't come. And then finally the shepherd walked up and called the sheep and they came running over the hill. And it was the most glorious thing to see because they knew who their shepherd was, but they denied the stranger. And I want to let you know something. I have listened to all kinds of pastors all of my life. And just because someone holds the word and stands in the pulpit does not mean that they love you and they care for you. And this is just a warning. I'm just going to impress this upon you. Christ is known by his word. If anybody stands in this pulpit and it sounds strange and it sounds off and you can go, I'm not quite sure. Well, obviously I'm talking about Ryan and Craig, not me. But <laughs> if you were to sit in here and you were to listen, you could go back to his word and align it, calibrate it. Is this my shepherd? Is this the voice of Jesus calling? And that's what he's saying here. Do you know my sheep? Do you know where to look? Do you know how to listen? Verse seven is great because now he flips the imagery away from the sheep and onto the shepherd. And you can say him say this. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. And so once again, he's gonna say, I'm gonna impress something upon you. I am the gate because of this. I saw, like I said, I was watching a bunch of documentaries. There was a shepherd that got lost way out in the wilderness. Not lost, but came in late. And when he came in late, he saw dusk was coming and he goes, we're not gonna make it back to the sheep pen. So he goes into a cave and he sits everybody in the cave and the sheep are now looking around like, this isn't my normal sheep pen. I know something's off, something's different. And he just, you know, hey, guys, just go in there and lay and they're skittish and they're trying to get by him. Maybe like, can we, can we run? Can we run from here to the sheep pen? And he's like, no, it's dark out. We gotta do this. And so eventually he said, sheep lay, sheep lay. And they laid down in the cave. And then he pulled out all of his weaponry and he laid across the door. And what he did that, that night, he stayed awake, listening to hyenas, listening to big cats growling in the distance, wolves howling, everything that would come in there and try and hurt those sheep. He stayed awake while they rested. And so what he's going to say to them right now is, while you're out here trying to you know, scrap, you know, scrounge for what you can do in the temple, I want to let you know, I'm coming from a place of rest. I want to bring you to rest. I want you to find peace and rest and worship in the house of God. Look at verse eight. He would continue to say this. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and they will go out and they will find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so what he's saying to you right now is that I am the gate of peace. Why am I the gate of peace? Because I come from the Lord. But I wanted to let you know something. You will never have peace when the enemy is coming to kill, steal, and destroy you. Let me give you the two definitions of thieves and robbers. Robbers is more like they come up to you and go, hey, stick them up. Give me all your money. That's a brutal attack. That's, hey, we're doing this right now. Thieves are a little bit different. They come and whisper sweet words while they reach around and pickpocket. 
So there's a sign of seduction there. And he's saying, you've been seduced and you've been robbed. And I wanna let you know, as we move closer to Jesus's uh, crucifixion, what do we find? Jesus goes to the temple and we see him flip the tables and chase out the money changers. Why? Because people did not have peace in the house of worship because this is what it was like for a person to go to the temple. At this time, the religious institution would take your money. If you would come in there, let's like say we had Sebastian dollars, we would go up to the temple and they go, your Sebastian money doesn't work here. You need temple money. So you would have to exchange a dollar, right? Or $10 of Sebastian money for $1 of temple tax, something, on the, something ridiculous. So now you're down 10, you know, 90%, right? Now you have to go over and buy, oh, it can only be an approved lamb for the temple. And guess what? That guy's marked up all the way. So by the time you've entered into the Holy of Holies, or have, give the, the sheep to the Holy of Holies for the priest, guess what? You're broke. You wasted all that money. You probably will never sin again. You're like, ah, oh, I can't afford to. But you would leave the temple mostly disillusioned. Because if you couldn't afford it, what would the priest say? Don't you want to have a close relationship with God? Don't you want God to forgive you? And yet this, this shepherd comes along and says, I will not seduce. I will not steal I will not do anything like that. What I've come to do is be the shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. Why? Look at the end of verse 10. So that you may have life to the full. Jesus would say this time and time again. He would compare him being the giver of life to you finally having peace. And he would say that because I am the creator of life, I also have the authority over it. John eleven twenty five would say it like this. I am the resurrection and the life. That's your shepherd. John 14, 6 would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I find this in John 10, 10, the most powerful declaration. He would say, the thief only comes to kill and to uh, steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the abundance. The abundance or the fullest. That word full would look like this. If you had a cup in front of me and you put a couple drops in it and you're like, aren't I living? And God would say to you, there's a whole cup that's left. I've designed a life for you and you can never fill it till I fill it. So that fullest means whatever life you have outside of the one who pours life into you, you will always be empty. Therefore, the thief comes to steal just a little bit that's at the bottom of the cup. But what I come to do is not steal from, but give, but give you to the overflow from not only here to eternity. And this is why Christ's sheep know that life with him is rich and abundant. That's why they say in Ephesians that his grace is so rich, it's luxurious. It's like he pours it out and it's like more wealthy than all of the world combined because his grace is so much, it's infinite. I just pour and I pour out and it's more riches that you could even handle. It was kind of like this when Jackie and I were going um, on a vacation. We were newly married. We were only married for a year and I love the Miami Dolphins and she loves me. So she let me go down to South Florida and make it a honeymoon weekend with the Miami Dolphins involved. But we go down there and we're just like going on a whim. We were young and we just grabbed, you know, the phone called on the way down. We go, hey, we're coming down. Can we stay at the beach? And the hotel said, yeah, come on down. And I walked in and I just, we did, you know, we're just young. We're married. We didn't have a lot of money. Go, I just want a room. I don't care if it faces a brick wall. We just want to be near the beach. And the guy goes, oh, there's a problem. We get to the lobby and I'm all excited. I got my wife, I got my luggage. And he's like, there's a problem. And he goes, that's because we upgraded you all the way to the top. And I was like, what? I don't know if I can afford that. And he goes, it's on us. We're sending you up there. And I go, top sounds good. I mean, top doesn't sound bad. So we get up there and we drive up there and they put our bags in and it's like a vista, right? It's like a just panoramic view of the ocean. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm living like I'm rich. 
And then I look over there and there's tropical fruit on a plate already ready for this. I'm like, how did they know? I love tropical fruit. And inside the tropical fruit, chocolate covered strawberries. It just kept going, right? Promises upon promises. And before the guy leaves, he puts a certificate in my hand and he goes, and by the way, dinner's on us. And I said, why? And he goes, just, we just wanted to bless you because it was your honeymoon. You know, it was a past our honeymoon, but you're newlyweds. We want to bless you. And I was just thinking about this. That's how we enter into the promises of God. We have no idea the depths and riches, riches of the Lord that we go in and we go, wow, Lord, I don't deserve your mercy. I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve how wonderful you are. But the Lord says, you have no idea what the design of life I have for you unless you get to know me. That's why he says in verse 11 here, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now we hear this statement, we automatically see the cross, don't we? But this is also a shepherd that says, I will live for you, I will die for you. And really what he's saying, and I don't know if you guys can see it in some of your translation, that good shepherd, he's also making himself sound really good to the people because he's standing before the Pharisees. And that word good comes across more like this, beautiful, attractive. There's a magnetism to him. There's a gravity that pulls you to him. And I want to let you know, he's standing in front of a place where people are disillusioned with their relationship with the Lord through the, what's going on at the temple. This is like we said, that he would flip the table and goes, there's a magnetism, there's a beauty that you're attracted to me because you know how much I love you. And not only do you know how much I love you, you see that I would put myself at risk for you because I'm the one that lays down my life for you because I love you. True love. That doesn't mean he doesn't hold you accountable. Remember the lady caught in adultery? Go and sin no more, but I don't condemn you. He held her accountable and he loved her at the same time. And that's what people want. And he's also saying this, you know that I'm beautiful because you can look at the Pharisees, Pharisees and see that they are ugly. It's basically what he's saying. They are spiritually ugly because they take. I want to give you a point of a view on your, on your shepherd. If the Lord requires you to have faith to follow him, but who is the author and perfecter of your faith? Christ. You need grace to get to heaven. Who pours out the grace? You need the power of the Holy Spirit to do everything that you've been asked to do. Who gives you the Holy Spirit? It's a give, give, give situation and all we are to sit here and graze. So Christ is saying, I need you to start looking at your shepherds. And, and in fact, he's talking about the future. I need you to see your pastors as people who lay down their life for the sheep, who put the flock first. I need them to look like me. And that's a challenge to anybody who speaks the word. Look at verse 12. He would go on to say towards them, the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. And the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And so Jesus is gonna come and directly attack that word ambition. He would say the hireling is only here because he cares about himself, his position, his power. He's been given this as a job, but he also is here because he wants to pay the bills. It's a good job, but he doesn't care for the sheep. Now, counterbalance that with the shepherd. The shepherd says, I'm only here for the sheep. There is no other personal gain. I'm here for the well-being of the sheep. I only care for the sheep. And this is why you'd have to make a decision for yourself when you sit and listen and you choose a church or you choose a speaker. Do you want ambition or do you want affection? Do you want the affection of a shepherd or the ambition of a hireling? Look at verse 14. He would say it again. I am the good shepherd. He says it again. I am attractive. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. See, this relationship is two-way. We know that God knows us. You know, the Bible says that God not only has uh, counted all the hairs on your head, he's numbered them. 
That means if hairs 25 through 36 are out of whack and not combed right, he could tell you that. 25 through 36, you need to comb them back. I don't know what they're doing. But that's because he knows you intimately. And the shepherd definitely knows us. But do you know your shepherd? This is why these sheep trust their shepherd so much, because they know him. And we'll never know him by ignoring him. We'll never know him by being apathetic to him. We'll never know him by not opening up the word. We'll never know him by not praying and spending time walking and talking. That's why the Lord would say in Psalms, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's a challenge to you. Challenge me on how good I am. That's a great challenge. You wanna see how good I am? Test me. Okay, this is gonna be good. That's how you know he's the good shepherd. And that's why we would say good sheep know the easiest way to know the shepherd is by his word. And I don't mean just by reading his word, that knowing he's a man of his word. He is a man of his word. Verse 15 would go on to say, just as the father knows me, I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Kind of amazing. So I want to let you know something. God didn't forget about Calvary Chapel and Sebastian. He brought a cameo today. He says in verse 16, I have other sheep. He's talking about you. Isn't that kind of cool? We made it into the Bible. Yes. We're there. It's a direct reference. He's saying, not only do I have my Jewish sheep, I have my Gentile sheep and I got to bring them into the fold. And I want you to think about something because he's saying something powerful too. They will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Incredible to hear that, right? Because right now, none of the people can agree, can they, on anything. You have some people going, he's, he's crazy, he's blind, he's demon-possessed. Some people go, how can he be demon-possessed? He's got all authority of heaven. I want to put in, in perspective you how powerful your God is. Imagine if I closed the service today and I said, hey, let's all, uh, let's all go out to eat. Where do we want to eat? How smooth do you think that transition is going to be? Oh, I'm not eating there. That's too spicy. I don't do spicy. What? No, that's too salty. I don't do that. I don't do fish. You know how hard it would be to get all of us in one place to sit down at one menu and order? But Christ can. Christ can do that. But think about how deep it is. Move beyond the restaurant choices. Move across political choices, personal choices, lifestyle choices. And we would stand before our shepherd and go, man, you are so good. I just want to follow you. And we all go, amen. And we go. That's our Christ. It would take a lot of unity, a lot of love, a lot of compassion, and a lot of revelation. And that is what it looks like in verse 17. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up. This is a command I received from my father. This is a continuation of what the shepherd is saying. And I want you to let you know, he's not just switching, but he's letting you know two things. Christ is so humble that he would bow down before your feet and wash your feet, right? Because God asked him to. He's so humble that he would say, Lord, would you let this cup pass me at you know, the Garden of Gethsemane? I don't, I don't know, if, I, you know like, if I'm physically ready to do this. And the Lord said, I need you to do this so that you can gain all of these people sitting in this church service today. And he goes, I'll go to that cross. He was humble enough to be the human on earth, but he was divine enough to say this, but I have the power to tell you when I'm gonna lay down my life. I have the power to tell you when I'm going to pick it up. This is a huge point because think about this. Every time he's come out and made a controversial statement, what do the Pharisees do? Pick up rocks and charge at him. And somehow, some way, I don't know if he just disappeared. I don't know if it was like Bilbo in Lord of the Rings, like he, like he just vanished and they walked through the crowd and then he was on the other side and he goes, 
what a bunch of fruitcakes and just walked out? I don't know, but he didn't die until he said, now is my time to die. And then he looked at your sin and he looked at your death and he sat there and he goes, you know what? Now is my time to rise and be resurrected because not only am I a humble servant of the Lord, I am the bold savior of you to lead you out of sin and death because I have all power and authority. So this is how we can rest in his hand. We don't just trust him because he has an affection. We trust him because he has power. And there's no safer place in this world, no matter what you're going through, physically, financially, spiritually, to rest in the God's hand who has all the power of the world, but all the heart for you. That's why Christ's sheep know he has authority over all life, including yours. Just think about this. When a shepherd died back in these uh, ancient times, they would immediately give the sheep to another shepherd. And yet Christ is still leading us even though he died on the cross. He shepherded us through death. He shepherded us through resurrection and he will shepherd us all the way to eternity in heaven with him. And I want to let you know something that has been the entire mission from Genesis all the way to Revelation to get you prepared to enter into the family of God and spend eternity with him. Amen. Look at the verse 19. This is how we close it. It says, the Jews heard these words were again divided. Many said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? Verse 21. But others said, these are the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open their eyes of the blind? They're seeing the power and authority, but they're also seeing the shepherd's heart. And one part of the, one half of this group is going, that's the shepherd I hear. That's the shepherd I'll follow. Just think about this. Your shepherd is talking to you today through the scripture and he is saying, I know you, I see you. I've chosen you. I know you better than you know yourself. And I want to bring you into this flock. I want to bring you into this fold. I want to bring you into this family so you can bear my name for eternity. And I will be the door that protects you. And I might even have to protect you from yourself. And just think about this, every failure, every sin, everything that we are ashamed of, God already knows. And his word to you is, I want to come down and heal it. Even when you did it against me, even when you rebelled against me, your mistakes, your wounds, everything, I want to take care of your heart. And I want you to know that I am the voice of the father that comes through the door calling you to walk through. God already has a plan for you and it's Jesus Christ. You just have to listen. You just have to hear and you have to follow. This is why I love David. And we all know David. He had great days and he had bad days, right? Look at what he says in 119, Psalms 119. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant for I have not forgotten your commands. You could use that word commands. I have not forgotten what you've told me. I have not forgotten your voice. You know, so today your, your, your Lord is the overseer of your soul. Just think about that. Who can be the overseer of your soul? No one except for one. And that's legitimate affection. Because if anybody knew my whole story, you would never want to oversee anything in me. But Christ chose me and he says, you know what? I want to take care of you. He chose you and said, I want you for eternity. And I want to be the one to make you lie down in green pastures. I want to be the one to give peaceful waters for you. I want to be the one to lead you through the shadow of valley of death, right? I want to be the one to prepare a table in your enemies and make you eat while I defend you. You just got to sit and eat. I want to put an angel of mercy and goodness on either side of you. Why? Because that's the kind of shepherd I am. I have the power and authority and I have the love. I just need you to not only hear me, I need you to listen. I need you to follow. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, 
I love that your voice is so gentle, but your words are so bold. You're calling all of us here to a better life with you. You've called us into the destiny that you've designed for us. You want us to be close to you, walk with you, talk with you. That's been the mission from the beginning, from Adam and Eve to us to the future. It's always been about relationship. Lord, help us get to know you better. You are so good. Forgive us of our of our fear and our doubt. Forgive us of our anxiety. Forgive us of not listening. Forgive us of being apathetic, ignoring you at times. And thank you for pursuing us. The kind of a, the kind of a shepherd that would leave the 99 to find the one, me, you. Lord, I just pray that we hear your voice through your word and we hear your voice through your calling and you're calling our hearts home and that's to you, our good shepherd. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.